Well, friends, we turn to First Samuel, chapter 1. We'll break in to the chapter, uh, verse 19. We'll read through to the end of the chapter, which is verse 28. Eli, after uh, mistakenly thinking that Hannah was drunk, um, has assured her that she could go in peace and the God of Israel would grant her petition. And uh, Hannah, as we're told in verse 18, uh, went, went her way and did, and her face was no longer sad. But if you have first uh, Samuel before you, reading from verse 19, says, Then they rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to their house in Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked for him from the Lord. And the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer the, uh, to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his fire. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, Not until the child is weaned, then I will take him that he may appear before the Lord and remain there forever. So Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you, wait until you have weaned him. Only let the Lord establish his word. Then the woman stayed and nursed her son until she had weaned him. Now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her. She took him up with her with three bulls, one ephah of flour and a skin of wine. And brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered a bull and brought the child to Eli. And she said, O my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by you here praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore, I also have lent him to the Lord as long as he lives. He shall be lent to the Lord. So they worshipped the Lord there. Amen. And so reads God's word. Um, the book of Judges reminds us that the story, the story of Hannah is set within the context of a nation in turmoil. Israel is experiencing instability. It's confronted by insecurity in many ways. And um, we could say that the picture of Hannah's life in chapter 1 is a microcosm of that larger picture. She is childless, and it could be said by way of comparison, that the nation of Israel is fruitless. So, so what do you say? You know, why does that matter? In the overall scheme of things at the beginning of 2024. Well, beloved, the answer that God is providing here for the predicament of Hannah 
is actually part of his answer for the predicament of his people, including and up to ourselves here on the first Wednesday evening of 2024. My last year, we got as far as verse 18, where we saw that Hannah had dried her eyes, her tears are gone, she's no longer sad, her appetite has returned, and remember, uh, her tears and her despair and her great longings were not an expression of an absence of faith, but were an indication of her faith. Yes, she believed in God. She believed that God made the world. God had made her. And she believed that God was a God who cares. He cares for his people. And God had promised uh, his people to be with them. And he had also obviously issued warnings. And that's what's contributing to Hannah's problem. Because what Hannah was trying to do was make sense of how God be so, could be so loving. How, could be, how he could be so caring and so wonderful in his provision. And yet, somehow or another, she seemed to be missing out. So her tears continued through the night. But as it says in the Psalms, but now her joy has returned in the morning. So verses 19 and 20, Hannah went home. Uh, she had a baby in answer to her prayer. I notice, first of all, what we're told in the text. Verse 19 tells us that they rose early in the morning and they worshipped before the Lord. Verse 19 begins with worship. And then if you go down to the end of verse 28, you see how it ends with worship. The, wor the worship of the community in the family home at the beginning of this day is now being murdered by the worship of this little boy who has been provided to Hannah and to Elkanah as they bring him to Eli in the temple. But we're running ahead of ourselves, that's verse 28. But when we think about the nature of their worship here in verse 19, specifically the nature of Hannah's worship, now surely that has changed. Surely there's a, a different dimension to it. Before this, I guess, our worship could have been characterized by Psalm 13. How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me, but not on this morning? Although she still hasn't conceived the child, Having cast her burden upon the Lord in the temple or in Shiloh, well, perhaps on this morning, she's now singing one of the Psalms of Ascent. Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, 
who stand by night in the presence of the Lord. Then, secondly, go on to notice that it says the Lord remembered her. Now, as we've often explained and said, that doesn't mean, you know, that the Lord sitting in heaven, clicking his fingers and saying, oh yeah, Hannah, forgot about her for a while. Uh, that's not the case when it says the Lord remembered. Uh, God had not forgotten her. It, it means that the Lord acted favorably towards Hannah. And in the same breath, let me add, don't forget the big picture. Okay? Uh, yes, Hannah could say, the Lord has performed all things for me. But the phrase, the Lord remembered, includes the way in which God acts according to his covenant purposes. So when it says, and the Lord remembered, it's an indication that the Lord took action. And the action that he took, remember the big picture, the action that he took was in relationship to the fact that he had covenanted with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And he had actually said to Abraham, through your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And when we read of the Lord remembering, it's often directly related to the fact that he remembered that he had made, you know, this covenant. And he's being faithful to his covenant and he's working out his covenants. And in the light of that, God takes action. And that, of course, is exactly what is happening here in Hannah's life. God is taking action, keeping the big picture in mind, with respect to his covenant prom uh, promises. And then, uh, thirdly, if we move on, verse 20. Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, I have asked for him from the Lord. Now, Hannah was not to know, uh, certainly in those early days and weeks, but we know because obviously we've known the story for, for years. But Hannah was not to know that this child that she had been given was destined to become God's spokesman. He was destined to become God's prophet, the last of the judges, the first of the prophets, as some commentators refer to Samuel. But he is destined to be the one who would guide God's people in relationship to God's word. Hannah at this time doesn't know that. So she went home, shot a baby. And we notice that Hannah stayed at home with her baby. You know, it's a, an important point that we shouldn't overlook, particularly in the 21st century. Just uh, John, myself, and I was seeing and Rhoda talking just before uh, the meeting started. You know, the importance of mothers staying at home with their children. God gives you a child, stay at home with that child. You know, children these days are found out to 
to grandparents, they're fanned out to nurseries. Um, and biblically, it's a scandal. You know, God gives a child, and the best place for that child is in the home. You're being raised, you know, by its mother. So she stays at home with her baby, having been given this little little baby boy. Little baby boy that we know from a reading that she wanted. She wanted him so much. She wanted him as much. She wanted as much of him as she could possibly have. But she had made a fire. And so she was going to be taking him back to the temple. But not yet. And going to wait until he's weaned, a period maybe of uh, two to three years, uh, at least. So, Elkanah, you go to the, the temple alone for the, for the time being. And when he's weaned, then I will go up again to Shiloh with you. And on that occasion... I will do what I fight to do. I will do what I promise to do. I will bring him so that, verse 22, so that he may appear before the Lord and remain there forever. Now, don't you wish you had a recording of this? You could see a film of it. You know what? If you had a recording so that you could hear her her voice, you know, what was the tone with which she said, you know, to to Elkanah about going up to the temple and, you know, wanting to win the child for a while? You know, she's human. She's a mum. And... Maybe if it was more theatrical, I should have read it with a quiver in my voice. I wonder if her, her voice broke when she said that. You know, some, some mums can't leave their children in the nursery for an hour without going to pieces. You know, that bond is there. And can you imagine giving your child up for the rest of his life. You know, think about the think about the humanity of this for a moment. You know, those tender tender moments of infancy. You know, those nursing moments, particularly if you're a woman and you've mother and you've had a child. You know, those those nursing moments, feeding moments, the nighttime Moments in the middle of the night experiences. You know, I look back when uh, you know, me with my own children, and getting up at nights with uh, Natasha at times. You know, just to give Roberta a break, and uh, you know, helping out as best I could. Um. But a woman would understand it, I guess, more. And here, here we have Hannah. Hannah was so distressed at having no child. 
eventually being given a child, promising that she will give up her child, announcing to her husband that she wants, you know, two or three years before she actually hands the the baby boy over. Can, can you imagine those conversations that uh, she had as she held him to herself? You know, uh, she said things that he couldn't possibly have understood, as we have done with our own children from their little babies. Hannah whispering in his little ear, Samuel, oh, I love you. Samuel, do you know, I, I prayed for you. Samuel, don't you know, you know, even before your eyes saw the light of day, you were loved. And we prayed for you. But Samuel, you know, I love the Lord God of hosts also. And I made a fight to him. And I'm going to give you back to him to be in the house of God forever. All oh, those tender moments as she whispers into the ear of her baby son. Can you see, can you see the humanity in these things? Yes, it's just to be pondered in the reading of the text. She went home. She had a baby. She stayed at home with her baby. And in verse 24 and following, she returned to Shiloh with her baby. No longer a baby. Maybe a little toddler. I don't suppose that we're... uh, to uh, try and figure out the exact age, but certainly there there has been development. He's he's weaned. He's now a young child. Maybe maybe you, you know it was until he was able to feed himself. Maybe he's a young child of six or seven. Who knows? But um, we're told that they slaughtered a bull when they brought the child to Eli. Now, that, that's no small matter. You see, the offense that are recorded here are essentially a thanks offering. It's a thanksgiving offering. And if you know your Old Testament, uh, you will know that God had made provision for his people to express their thanks to him. And often in, in ways that we regard as rather strange, but they were dramatic expressions of not only their gratitude and their praise, but also, get this, but also of the cost of blessing. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, the purchase of all the mercies and blessings which providence confers to us is conveyed through Christ's precious blood. 
not, not only spiritual and eternal mercies, but even our temporal mercies are the acquisition of his blood. You see, as sin forfeited all, and I get that, sin forfeited all. And as sin forfeited all, so Christ restored all. He restored all these mercies again to us by his death. Sin had so shut up the womb of mercy that had not Christ made an atonement by death, it could never have brought forth one mercy to all eternity for any of us. It is through Christ that God freely gives us all things. So whatever we receive from the hand of providence, we must put it upon the score of Christ's blood. And when we receive it, we may say, this is the price of blood. This is costly. It's a mercy rising out of the, the death of Christ that cost him dear, though it comes to us so freely. That's why they are sacrificing the bull. They are acknowledging that the blessing they have received, this little boy, this little blessing, they have received it. And they recognize it's blood bought. This is God's mercy to us. God's mercy to us in the fallen world, where we have lost everything. And it's only by God's grace that everything is being restored to us. It's an acknowledgement of that. How much they realize that in all its fullness? We don't know. But certainly with the New Testament and being able to read back, we can, we can certainly see it. What, a, what an amazing turnaround here. Because notice the, the promise made is a promise kept. She goes and she introduces herself to Eli. Remember me, Eli? And the woman who stood here praying and you thought I was drunk. I prayed for this child. This child I prayed for. And the Lord granted me my petition which I asked of him. So you see how the folly of the shadow of tears and of darkness has now been replaced with the joy of the morning. And she is able in this expression to declare her thanksgiving to God for the gift and for the privilege. She is now fulfilling her fight. The Old Testament law was very clear about making vows. Deuteronomy 23, 21, where the instruction is given to the people of God when you make a vow to the Lord, your God, you shall not delay to pay it. For the Lord your God will surely require it off you, and it would be a sin to you, basically, to say it and not do it. 
Now, when you get into Ecclesiastes chapter 5, Solomon provides a warning for the way in which uh, we could enter the house of the Lord, the way in which in contemporary terms that would be the way we could come into church. But in that that chapter, Ecclesiastes 5, Solomon is issuing a warning. Verse 1, he says, walk prudently when you go to the house of God and draw near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know what that they do evil. In other words, when there's a disengagement between the reality of the heart and the formal expression of things. He says, these people draw near to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. It's something along these lines that the writer is addressing. You know, they're present in body, but their heart's somewhere else. And then Solomon goes on to say, essentially he quotes in Ecclesiastes 5 from Deuteronomy uh, 23:21. He goes on to say in Ecclesiastes 4, uh, 5, verse 4 and 6, When you make a vow to God, do not delay to repay it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed. Better not to vow than to vow and not pay. Do not let your mouth cause you to sin. Now, obviously, this was very specific to Hannah's case. But it was, it was one of the, the church, early church fathers who, who asked himself three questions routinely. What have I done for Christ? What am I doing for Christ? What will I do for Christ? And so when we think of all that it cost Hannah to fulfill her fight, to keep her promise, it ought at least in passing nudge us to say any unkept vows. I'll leave you to ponder that. But in closing... One little phrase to draw out, and that is uh, a useful guide in understanding all that's been going on in the the chapter. It's a little phrase in verse 23. Let the Lord establish his word. You see, everything that's going on in relationship to God's ultimate purpose, uh, the focus here, although the camera obviously is on Hannah and has been on Hannah for a long time. The focus is actually upon upon God. The focus is upon the Lord himself and the fulfillment of his purposes. The focus is on what God is doing. <coughs> the story here, the application here is clearly not if you're childless and pray, uh, you're childless and sad and pray to God you'll get a baby because you know think about it there must have been countless ladies in Israel who were childless and who prayed to God and they they never had a baby therefore the reason that it's here is if you like uh, the, the unusual nature of it not the routine nature of it. 
And it's pointing to the fact that God has chosen to intervene here in response to the prayers of Hannah, but not because, as I say, of the peculiar uh, nature of her misery or because of the extent of her sincerity, but because God is fulfilling his purpose. God is fulfilling his word. He's establishing his word. I remember the context a nation in turmoil. The people had no keen. Everybody's doing what was right in their own eyes. God is now going to fix that. How is he going to fix it? God is going to fix it by providing leadership. In part one of the leadership is this prophet of God, this little boy who's been born, who will bring the people of God onto the word of God and he will guide them into the truth of God. And then it will be through the provision of Saul. Then it will be through the provision of David. And then eventually in great David's greater son. Namely the Lord Jesus Christ. So when we read the Bible. We must always, always, always keep our eyes on Jesus. This is a book. As we've said so often. This is a book about Jesus. We don't. Read the Bible looking for ourselves in it. We are not in it. It's all about Jesus. Yes, Hannah. Hannah's barrenness is actually a picture of Israel's fruitlessness. And and in some ways, Hannah's barrenness may actually be seen as a picture of the contemporary churches. Fruitlessness. Hannah didn't have children. She had a rival that opposed her. What's the problem? One of the problems of the contemporary church. What's the problem of contemporary church life? We don't have any children. What I mean by that, we don't have any conversions. We're opposed. Relentlessly opposed by rival forces. What should we do? Well, like Hannah. Well, we pray. And do we really believe that this God, whom we're referring to tonight, I'm going into his presence in a moment, do we really believe that this God who has chosen through his ancient people and through their seed to pour out his blessing? On the nations. Do we. Really believe. Actually believe. As it says at the end of the Old Testament. In the book of Malachi. Do we really believe. That he is able to open the windows of heaven. And pour out. A blessing. To such an extent. That we wouldn't have room enough. To contain it. Well, well, we know that there will come a day when all of this will be past, but for now we are here uh, in a nation, in a world with all its, all its turmoil. And we may not see the harvest that we're going to be praying for and have been praying for. We may not live to see the children raising or being raised up in this generation and declaring Christ as Lord. But we can do, and we will continue to do, 
what we ought to do, and that is to faithfully seek God in prayer.